that the work that Christ did for us on the cross is complete. It's finished in Him. And because that He finished that work for us, we have hope beyond today. We have hope in the midst of the difficulties that we face. And I know that in the rooms that are represented here, the people that are here, the people that are watching online, there's all kinds of difficulties that have been faced this week. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of things that... Um, we're looking at and just we don't have the answers for. But thank you for the fact that your spirit grants us hope, grants us peace. Thank you that the work of Christ gives us an opportunity at freedom. And thank you that you offer that to each one of us free. And if we're willing to accept the gift that you've given in your son, Jesus Christ, that we have new hope and new life. Thank you for that. And now, Father, as we open your word and we um, read it together and we uh, begin to unpack a little of the truth that's found in it this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would be free to work in our hearts. And whatever it would be that would stop us from hearing from you this morning, God, would you remove that for the next few moments? I pray that it would be your words that are heard and not mine. And I ask that you would be free to direct our hearts And point us in the direction of Jesus Christ. Help us just to see Christ this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a seat. And as uh, Mike Chavez shared this morning, we are a family here at Moss Brook. We feel that way and we try to welcome everybody as part of the family. And so this morning I have a family matter that I want to bring to everybody's attention. Uh, Just something that I want to... Uh, make everybody aware of. If you are a parent here and you have children uh, of pretty much any age that they are under your care, we are in a public facility. This We rent this facility and there is a restaurant next door and all outside of the, the main building here is all parking lot. Uh, there is no uh, place for kids to, to play out there. It's all parking lot and we love your children as much as, or we hope we love them as much as you do. You're a parent, so your love is deep for your children. And so I am asking you this morning, can you be aware before and after services where your children are? Uh, Because there's a lot of cars moving around out there in that parking lot. And it's, there's, there's been some roving groups of children. And uh, if you can just keep an eye on your children so that we don't have any accidents. Uh, We, we want, everyone to be safe, and uh, so if you, after service or before service, if you can just make sure you know where your kids are, that would be helpful. Uh, Some of our people who are on greeting and safety, it's hard for them to be watching everything and know where everybody is, so if you could do that for us, uh, we would appreciate that. It would be helpful to our teams. Uh, We've been in the book of uh, Philippians, and I get to close that book out, not this week, but next week. And uh, this week we're uh, in chapter 4, and we're going to be talking this, this morning about learn to be content. And I know contentment is not a struggle for anybody who's here or anybody that's listening. So you can just take notes and hand those off to someone who does struggle with contentment, okay? Um, so take really good notes so when you, when you hand that off, they know what you're talking about. And if you happen to once in a while struggle with that, you may want to pay attention, all right? We're going to talk a little bit about contentment this morning. But in this passage of Scripture, uh, verses 10 to 14, 
Paul gives us a secret. And everybody likes secrets, right? Secrets are an interesting thing. Pam and I kept a secret this week. Uh, we, um, it was my daughter's birthday this week, and we didn't tell her that part of her gift was her nanny, her Pam's mother, her grandmother, who's been in Canada. She's been, she's, she's in communist Canada and has been unable to get across the border to visit. And so uh, this week they lifted a few restrictions and she was able to come down. We didn't tell, we kept a secret. Pam almost blew it 97 times <laughs> in the last week uh, because she was so excited. But we kept a secret. It was a great secret. We had a lot of fun with it. We didn't know if it was going to work out, so we didn't tell her, and it was a big secret, and she was very excited when that happened. So there are good secrets, right? There are secrets that we, that we do to surprise people that, that are exciting secrets, but often secrets aren't that way, are they? I, I was reading about secrets this week, and I found that 97% of people are keeping secrets. I don't know how they figured that out because they're secret, so how would you know? <laughs> this was the study. I don't know. And they said that most people are keeping 13 secrets. <laughs> Again, they're secrets, and I don't know where they come up with this stuff. I was reading and thinking, is this a bedtime story? Is this? But anyway, that's what they say. They say that people keep big secrets, and they keep little secrets. They keep family secrets, they keep work secrets, they keep food secrets, right? I know some parents who hide candy from their kids, because if they don't hide it from the kids, they don't get any. It's not me, guys. I would not do that. Don't check my closet. Food secrets. Sometimes our food secrets aren't just hiding candy from kids, right? We hide because we know we really shouldn't have it. That's all. I won't go into that. Some people may feel guilty. Sometimes we hide secrets of things that we shouldn't know. And we hide the secret that we know it. Secrets do things to us. Did you know that? Secrets often bring guilt or shame into our lives. Sometimes it brings, brings blame. Sometimes it gets tangled up in our relationships, and secrets can ruin our relationships. Sometimes the secrets that we keep cause isolation and cause us to hide and cause hurt within our own hearts and our own lives. The effect of secrets on our life is often the loss of energy, loss of motivation, Sometimes we're consumed thinking about the secrets that we have hidden in our hearts and our minds. Secrets can bring anxiety and even can lead to depression in our lives. Secrets have a massive effect on our brain. Our amygdala, which, which deals with our fight or flight, our, our anxieties in our life sometimes jumps into overdrive, and causes us to do foolish things. Sometimes our, hepi, our, our, uh, our 
campus, if I'm not saying it right, if you're medical, hepo campus, maybe how you say it, I don't know. I'm probably saying it wrong. But it gets compromised in our, our memory and our ability to learn is affected. Our immune system can be affected. And then our prefrontal cortex is affected and our ability to communicate, to innovate, to work with other people can be affected all because we're keeping what? Secrets. Secrets. Secrets can be fun. They can be a surprise. But in our lives, secrets often enslave us and often put us in places that we never dreamed of being. And in this passage of scripture we're going to deal with this morning, we're going to talk about how Paul knows a secret, but it's a totally different type of secret. And if you wait just 10 minutes, well, maybe 15, I'm going to explain to you what that secret is and how it affects us. But first, is my mic falling? Oh, it's, it's catching on the clip? Okay. Thank you, Catherine. Um, I'm going to let it hang. All right. It may fall off. If it does, I'll hold it. But first, before we get to the secret that Paul has for us in our lives, I want to talk to you about what Mike was talk, Pastor Mike was talking to us last week. Remember last week when Pastor Mike was talking to us about how we should think and where our mind ought to be? Well, this all leads to what Paul's going to talk to us about, the secret of life, the secret of living, the secret of being the person that we're supposed to be. And all of the things that he's told us so far all build into that one secret. And Paul told us last week through Pastor Mike, he said this, he said, look, our minds and our brains need to be at a place where we think about what is truthful, right? What is honest, what is of a good report, what is pure, the right things, the just things, those are the things that need to be in the forefront of our mind, the things that need to be the first things that we spend our time and our energy thinking about. And Paul kind of takes that thought and, he, and it seems like he's jumping into a totally different thought, but he's not. It all goes together. If you look at verse 10 with me, he says this in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to share it. Paul says this. He says, look, I know you as a group of people. I know that you've been thinking the right thoughts. You've been living a pure life. You've been allowing the Spirit of God to have a hold of your heart and your very being. And because you've been doing that, because the just thoughts, the good thoughts, the things that you need to be focusing your time and your attention on, you've been doing it because of it. I rejoice greatly in the fact that you've been saying yes to God. And because you've been saying yes to God, you've wanted to bless me. You've wanted to help me out. Because your mind is in the right place, God could grab a hold of your mind and heart and point you in the direction that you ought to go. And the direction you needed to go was to help me out in my need. See, folks, when our minds and our hearts are in tune with God, 
When we're thinking about the just things, the good things, the things that are of good report, the right things, when our hearts are in the right place, God, by his spirit, gets a chance to direct us to those who have need, to give an encouraging word, to come alongside someone and lift them up and help them out. But when our minds, we went bowling yesterday afternoon and I struggled. I'm not much of a bowler. And I threw a gutter ball. I threw many. But I threw a gutter ball and my wife was sitting back there and she said, Tim, get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> my wife. But when our mind is in the gutter, when it's not, when it's not where it's supposed to be, when I'm not thinking about the things that I should be thinking about, then the Spirit of God can't direct me in the direction that I should go as a believer. You know that? And so Paul looks at these guys and he says this, I rejoice that you're living your life the way you ought to live it so that the Spirit of God could direct you to help me out in my need. What an awesome thing. And he says, it's a joy <laughs> to know you because you're letting the Spirit of God direct you. He says the first thing, if you remember back in Philippians chapter 1, verse, think, uh, verse 3, he says it this way, I give thanks every time I remember you because of your willingness to allow God to have control. And he's reiterating that in chapter 4. He says, you bring great joy to my life because you're saying yes to God. Folks, as a pastor and as a Christ follower, there's nothing more exciting in my life than I watch when, when I watch believers say yes to God over and over and over again. And I watch them use their giftedness to honor God. And I watch them use their heart and their mind and their very being to encourage others and to lift others up and to help them along because the Spirit of God is directing them to do it. I get what Paul is saying. It's so exciting to see the hand of God God at work in your lives as a church. And he is. You guys are saying yes to God all the time. We watch you give generously. We watch you say yes and use your gifts so that others would see Christ in you. We watch you help others out. Thank you. I rejoice in seeing you do that. That's what Paul is saying. I rejoice. Now, you need to know something about these people here. In this town of the city of Philippi, these people did not have a lot. They were under a lot of pressure. There were, they were the believers here. There's a new church. It's just begun. And, and, and they, they're not rich. They're, they're rather poor people. And if you remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me read a couple of verses. Paul is talking about this group of people. These people in, in Philippi he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. This is one of those churches. This is one of those groups of people. They were being tested by many trials. They are very poor, but they are filled with abundant joy. 
which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. Paul says, these people were poor. They didn't have much. They were under constant pressure. They were being tested. Their faith was being tested, and yet the Spirit of God had a hold of the heart, and they were incredible generous to me. They helped me out in my time of need. They gave me a gift they couldn't afford to give. I met a group of people one time in the mountains, in the Andes Mountains, and uh, they were living all by themselves. They'd been kicked out of their community because they were believers in Jesus Christ. And we stopped by this little, this little hut, and it, and it's, it was made out of mud, uh, mud bricks, and it had a little thatch roof, little kind of fat, thatch roof, only had two, two walls, the other two sides were open, and they had nothing as a family, and they said, come and eat with us. And I wanted to say, no, you don't have anything, but their generous spirit and their generous heart was because they knew God and they loved God, they wanted to share what they had with us. That's what Paul's talking about. In your need, being generous. This group were not wealthy. They were struggling to get by. They did not allow their poverty to dampen their giving because they were willing to give. Paul was willing and able to minister for God in ways that he could never have done. And in Acts 28 verse 30, he tells us this, that Paul under, under, in, in house arrest... They'd taken him from prison, put him in house arrest. He stayed two years in house arrest, being able to look after himself and care for anyone who came through his doors, anyone who visited him. Why? Because God's people were generous and helped him out. They didn't know that in their giving, they were blessing Paul, who in turn was blessing everybody who came to see him. And, and he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who came to see him. We don't know how God will use our little gift to make a difference for the body and the kingdom of Jesus Christ somewhere else. But he always takes our generosity and uses it for his good and for his glory. And he did it for this group of people. He was grateful for a heart of a group of people who was yielded to the person of God and to the spirit of God. And he thanks this church for their willingness to say yes to God. Now, we need to stop here for just a minute. Because I want to talk to you about generosity. Generosity is the antidote for anxiety and discontentment. Did you catch that? Generosity is the antidote. You know what an antidote is, right? If you get bit by a snake, there is an antidote. There is, there is something that makes that poison not able to take effect or causes it to, to ha not have an effect in you. Well, that's the antidote. And generosity is the antidote in my life for anxiety and discontentment. And we live in a day and age where all you hear people talk about is their anxieties. All of the anxieties that keep us from doing whatever. And if you listen long enough, if your ears are attuned, you'll listen to people who are constantly discontent. How do you know that? All they do is complain. That's how you know. 
How do you know they're discontent? Because nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's the way they like it. Nothing's the way they want it. If I did it, it would be so much. They're completely discontent. And the only way in our heart, besides the person of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but the only way in our heart to deal with anxiety and discontentment is a generous spirit. And these people had a generous spirit. And in their generous spirit, they provided for Paul. And because they were generous, they had a totally different outlook on life. See, anxiety causes us to look inward all the time, looking at myself, my fears, my concerns, the things that eat me up, the things that I'm worried about. And I spend all my time looking in, seeing my own self. Discontentment is caused by my selfishness, right? Always the things that I want my way, the the things that I like, the things that should be provided for me. Both are my heart, my spirit looking in. Generosity is totally different. Generosity causes me to no longer look in at myself, but to lift my head up and to look around. And to see the people that are around me and to see the needs that are around me. And if I have a generous spirit, I look at those around me and my, my thoughts go from what matters to me to how can I help others. Changes my whole attitude. Changes my whole heart feeling. And so Paul is telling these people, look, because you are generous, your whole spirit is different. How you view life is totally different. The care and the concern that you're giving, it's rubbing off on the people around you. And he talks about how in the world I can have that kind of spirit. Let me give it to you. It's found in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 to 7. He says it this way, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request toward God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says this, you want a generous spirit? You don't want an anxious heart? Then talk to God all the time about what's going on in your life. Present your needs and your requests and all those Give them to God all the time and your eyes will be lifted up. And you won't be anxious. You won't be discontent. Because your eyes will not be on yourself. They'll be on who? On God. On God. Pastor Mike helped us with that last week. I won't spend a lot of time on it this morning. Let me say this before we jump into this next part. Some of us are sitting here this morning saying, Pastor Tim... But you don't understand why I'm discontent. You don't understand my life. You don't understand the problems that I face. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, let me say this to you. Don't be discontent with where God has you. You're not there by a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Instead of being discontent with where God has you, ask him why you're there. Ask him what it is that he's trying to teach you. Ask him who it is that he wants you to help. Because the situation that you're facing, you're not alone. 
There's no new situations under the sun. Somebody else is struggling with the same thing you are. Or they already have struggled with it. God doesn't make mistakes. He has not placed you in the position that, that you're in to leave you. He will help you. He will encourage you. He will lift you up in the middle if your eyes are on him. Remember, it's not about being discontent with the things that you could improve in your life. That's totally different. If there are things in your life that you could do something about, that you could actually work on, that you could actually change, and you're discontent with those, get up. Get off the couch. Make some movement. Change some things in your life. But if they're the result of God placing you in a situation, then look to him because his promise is that he will provide everything you need through Jesus Christ. Are you discontent this morning? Are your eyes on him? Well, Paul goes on in this passage to describe how he found contentment. In the middle, remember, he's in prison here. Remember, Life is not going the way he planned. But he describes how he found contentment in the middle of it all. Here it is. Chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. They'll be on the screen. I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Stop for a minute. I want to go back. I want you to start with me at for I have learned. Are you ready? We're going to read this together. You ready? Theater two, three, online. All right, you ready? We're going to read this together. Here, here goes. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Did you hear what you just said? I tricked you. I'm sorry. But I want you to understand what Paul just said. Because some of us have bought into the lies of our culture that says this, there are reasons why I can never be content. And Paul says that's not true. That's not true. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. That phrase right there, I know how to make do with a little and I know how to make do with a lot, really isn't a great translation of that. A better translation of that is actually this. I know, know both to be humble and I, I know and to abound. I know that sounds really weird, but that's directly out of the Greek. Okay? And what it means is this. It means this. I know how to have status in life. I know how to be looked up to in life. And Paul knew that, right? If you go back in Paul's life, remember? He was high up in the ferry. He was a zealot. He was one of the most, the, the, the most completely in guys in the religious scenario that he lived in. He was all in. And people looked at him and said, we want to be like Paul because he's so good at what he does. He didn't even know Christ at that point. But, but he, was all, he had status. And so that phrase actually is saying this. Look, I know how to have my status removed and be completely humble. And I know how to abound. I know how to have people look at me and say, wow, you've got it together. That's hard, isn't it? 
It's hard to be God-honoring when, when we have it all together. It looks like we have it all together and people really like us. And it's hard to be God-honoring when, when everything has been pulled out from underneath us and our status and how people see us completely disappear and nobody even knows we exist. And then he goes on in this verse and he says it this way. He says, I have learned the secret. There's the secret we're going to talk about of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And so he says, look, I know how to be content if people recognize me or they don't recognize me. I know how to be content if I have a lot to eat. Man, I like that. Or I have nothing to eat. Man, I don't like that. I know how to be content if I have a lot of stuff or I don't have any stuff. I'm in prison with just a pen and a piece of paper and that's all I've got. I know how to be content in any circumstance. And he says it's a secret. There's a secret to this, to being content. And in the society that we live in, we say that contentment has to do with what we have and the security that we find in the things that we have. We say that our contentment is wrapped up in the amount of money we have or the people that know us or my position at work or how well I'm liked or where I get invited to or the car that I drive. Oh, but now in the society we live, there is a group who are called minimalists. And now contentment is found in not having much of anything. It's giving it all away and living in a tiny house and throwing away all the stuff that we don't use. And can I tell you something about that? Although that is a good thing because it clears your mind and it can be very helpful, contentment is not found in being a minimalist. It's not found there either. Contentment is not found in having everything that I think I want and, and, and being seen by everybody. And it's, it's, not, it's also not found in giving it all away and throwing everything away and having just the shirt on my back and a few clothes and, and enough food to eat and, and a job. That's not, it's not found in either extreme. And we are people of extremes. We're on a giant pendulum where we go one way one minute to hope that we get it all and we go to the other way. Well, that didn't work, so let's go to the other side and we hope that it's found there. And we go through both of those things and go, you know what? Neither worked. I give up. And Paul says, you're right. They're not going to work. Neither of them work. Because contentment is not found in what we have and it's not found in this world that we live in. We have a human condition that we're never happy no matter where we are. Everywhere looks better than where we are. And our contentment and our happiness is not found in our stuff. Let me ask you this question. How much is enough? When is it enough? Well, when you're like Paul and you trust God and you put God first, then all of a sudden your understanding of contentment changes. If you notice in these verses, Paul says four things and I got to move right along. He says four times in these two verses, he says, I have learned, I know, I know, and I have learned. Let me tell you this, contentment is a learned behavior. If you're going to write a note, write this note, contentment 
is a learned behavior. The secret to being content can be learned. When I put my trust in God, the more I learn about God, the more I trust. The more I trust, the more I learn. And those two things feed off each other and they they drive contentment in my life. The more I come to know God, the more I put my trust in God, the more I get in the word of God and I let the word of God get into my heart and sink down into my soul. And the more that the truth of the word of God changes my heart and my trust begins to be founded in the person of God and the trust that he knows best and he has my best in mind and where he's put me is the best for me then my heart settles and becomes content in him. This is not a one-time act. We grow into it. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes practice on our part to yield our spirit to the spirit of God. And here's the secret. You ready for this? We've been waiting for this the whole time. We could have jumped just to verse 13 and we would have known. Here's the secret that I promised. Verse 13. Say it with me. It's on the screen. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That word him there, that's Christ. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, this is the best kind of secret ever. It's the best kind of secret that you'll ever keep. And here's why. You ready for this? Because it's unlike all other secrets. It's an open secret. It's the best kind of secret. This secret is not for insiders. It's not for the select few. This is God's secret for mankind, and he's made it available to all mankind. He's whispering it with a loud voice in the ears and the hearts of all mankind forever. All outsiders to the secret are made insiders by Jesus Christ. He says, look, I have a secret for all human hearts, and the secret is this. You can be free. You can be content. You can be made whole. You can have all that you need in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the secret. And the secret is so amazing because the secret deals with the one thing that isolates us, the one thing that causes us not to belong, the one thing that pulls us away from being part of the family that God intended us to be part of, his family. And that one thing is our sin. Our sin is the secret that isolates us. God's secret, the provision of his son, is the secret that frees us. Our sin, we hide. We go to a dark corner and we keep it to ourselves. We don't want anybody to know about it. We don't want to speak of it. We don't want anybody to look at it. God's secret is completely in the light. And he says, look, you go hide in your little corner. But my freedom is for my secrets for all mankind all the time. Come out of the darkness. 
Share your secret with me, Jesus, and I'll deal with it. I'll clean it. I'll take it away. I'll give you hope. I'll give you freedom because my secret makes the outsider an insider. My secret makes the outcast belong. My secret takes the orphan, the one who's hiding in the dark, brings them into the light and gives them a family. That can be you. That's me. The secret that God had for me, Jesus Christ, I've accepted. I've taken the sin of my life and I've brought it to the cross and I said, here God, here it is. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of what I've done. But your secret cares for mine. It wipes it out. It cleans it. Take it. You know what he did? He didn't look at me and say, Tim, you're so bad. He said, Tim, I knew it all along. And I loved you so much, that's why I gave my son, Jesus Christ. Don't live in isolation. Don't let your secrets eat you up. Because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If you'll just yield your heart to his. That all things, everything that he talks about there, we always look at that and say, well, it's big stuff. It's not. <laughs> it's everything. It's not big stuff. It's not just for the people who are doing big works for God. When he says, I'll give you everything that you need, what he's saying is this. Look, I'll give you the strength for you to drag yourself to the cross to admit that you need a Savior. And when you do that, then I'll give you the strength and the grace to accept the gift of forgiveness that I give you. And then when you do that, I'll give you the grace and I'll give you the mercy to begin to give away that life, that freedom that I gave you to someone else. And then when you're anxious today or tomorrow, I'll give you the grace to face what it is you have to face. And then when you're at work and somebody says something to you and you don't know what to say back, I'll give you the words to say by my spirit. And I'll give you the grace to care for them and to love them in a way you never dreamed you could. And when your enemy stands up against you, I'll give you the grace to love them the way Christ would love them. You don't have to do it. I'll give you the grace for that. And then when you're in a position where you have a really difficult choice to make and it's right or wrong and I don't know which direction to go, God says, look, I'll give you everything you need. I'll step in in the middle of that and I'll help you make that decision and I'll help you make it in such a way that people will see Christ in you. I can do all things. It's everything, people, through Christ who gives me strength. All things. It's an open secret. Have you accepted Jesus Christ's secret? <laughs> Have you accepted his gift? See, it's not self-sufficiency that makes me content. It's Christ's sufficiency. It's trusting and resting in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you remember our Rooted campaign? This verse came back to my mind when I was studying this this last week. Jeremiah 17, 7-8. It says this. 
The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. And he will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in the year of drought or cease producing fruit. And the reason Jeremiah can say those words is because that tree, that person, is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And those roots of Jesus Christ go out into the promises of God. The scripture says this, that I'll give you all things that you need through the person of Jesus Christ. And those roots of Jesus Christ bring back the nourishment and the truth and all the stuff that we need to live out Jesus Christ every day when we're planted in the person of Jesus Christ. Is that where you're planted this morning? In the person of Jesus Christ? The unseen root system is what makes the difference in our lives. It's the unseen hand of God that provides all we need for our growth and our fruitfulness. When our roots are placed in the person of Jesus Christ, it's no longer about what I want. It's about what he's provided It's no longer about what makes me happy and what fulfills me. It's about what God has generously given to me to fill all the needs that I have. This morning, we want to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And in your cup holder, there's a communion, a little communion cup that's got the wafer and it's got some juice in it. And this morning, we want to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has provided everything we need for our contentment. He's given us the secret of Jesus Christ, his only son, who went to a cross to provide a payment for my sin and for yours. And if I'm willing to yield my spirit to his, then he guarantees that he will provide everything that I need to live for him. And so this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I ask you that as the band plays, that you go ahead and take communion with us. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not come to the place yet in your life where you've accepted Christ, if you've accepted what Christ did to pay for your sin, you can do that here and now. It's simply this easy. It's just, it's just yielding your life to him and saying to God, look, God, I'm a sinner. And I know I can't pay for my sin. There is nothing I can do to pay for my sin. But I accept what you have done through your son Jesus Christ on the cross for me. And I am no longer the master of my life. You are. I yield to you. You can do that here and now if God by his spirit is drawing you to that place. Let me read a couple verses from Luke chapter 22. He says this, For I tell you, I will not eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And he tells us this as believers, whenever we take that broken piece of bread and we eat it, we remember the price that Jesus paid. His body was broken for us. 
And whenever we take that cup and we drink it, we're reminded that Jesus loved us so much that the only perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, the only one who could pay for our price, pay the price for our sin, was willing to do it. And he did it for you and for me. And so this morning as you take communion, be reminded, be thankful, be happy, (laughs) be grateful for what God through Christ has done for us. Father, thank you so much that you give us a secret to be content in a world where contentment reigns, discontentment reigns. In a world where anxieties and fear reigns. Thank you that you have made a promise to us that through Jesus Christ, everything we need is supplied. And if we're willing to trust and rest in you, that you'll cause deep contentment. You'll cause a generous heart and a generous spirit to be in us. And often folks around us won't understand why. Because it's not natural. It's not normal for us. So thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on my behalf. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Thank you that I have hope and I have new life in you. Thank you that that wasn't just for me. That's an open secret. That's, it's for all mankind. It's for everyone. Everyone that's bowed in these theaters and online. Thank you for the hope that they have if they have a relationship with you. God, cause our hearts to remember all that's been done for us as we take communion this morning. Bless the bread and the cup. And by your spirit, draw our hearts to you. In your name we pray.